stay up to date on the latest from Heidi Ellen's story. Make sure you subscribe, download, follow, and rate Peoples for the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. It was April 3, 1994, a snowy Easter Sunday just before 8 in the morning when Heidi made her last transaction at the D&W convenience store in Mexico where she worked and then disappeared. But well, the big question remains tonight, where is Heidi Allen? They said they grabbed her from behind the counter and dragged her out the door and threw her in the back of Michael Bohr's van. I didn't know Michael Bohr had a white van. Well, it's not even, they didn't even bring her in the house. They didn't send what do you think happened to Heidi? What was done with her body? He laid down in two areas, which was a sign. It's an indication that there were human remains. All I know is they ended up chopping her up. If they would have put that van on my trailer and Heidi would have been in that van, that's where it would have went, right to the shredder. I've been in this from day one. Is, you know, there's nothing else I can say. This is the story of Heidi Allen, the story of a small town kidnapping where corruption got in the way of justice. The truth is finally coming out. It had been nearly 20 years since Heidi's kidnapping, and what happened to her still seemed to be anyone's guess. Yet Gary Thibodeau sat in prison, having lost all hope that he would ever see the world from outside those prison bars. But Heidi had still not been found, and the case was said to be ongoing. Until we recover Heidi and bring her home, the investigation remains open. In 2013, a woman named Tanya Priest picked up the phone and called prosecutors, claiming to know what happened on Easter Sunday morning at the DNW convenience store so many years ago. This is Peoples for the People. And I'm Alex Peebles. I don't know what the world's been missing, but I think we need a miracle. I'm tired of being held down. And I'm tired of watching these people die. Something told me that she was killed because she was going to rat in some big guys in the area. Um, and he said that's what happened to rats. He had no... When Tanya Priest came forward with new information about Heidi's kidnapping, the Oswego County DA's office had a new face at the helm in Greg Oaks. When he got the call from Tanya in 2013, Oaks wasn't necessarily green in the prosecutor's office. Though he only first started as the DA in 2012, Oaks worked in the prosecutor's office for a decade prior to being elected. He also interned in the Oswego County DA's office. And when he got involved in this case, Oaks said his mission was to figure out what really happened to Heidi. My obligation is to get to the truth and not only make sure that the right person was convicted, uh, but to make sure that any persons involved are held accountable. Oaks spoke with Priest on a recorded phone call on February 25, 2013. 
and she went into detail about what she had been told about Heidi's kidnapping. Before I play this clip for you, I want to warn you that some people might find this to be upsetting to listen to. Did Priest really know what happened to Heidi? If she was telling the truth, why was this the first time anyone heard about this from her? Well, it turns out, Priest had tried coming forward two years before that call with Oaks, but no one would listen. In 2011, Priest called the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Notes taken by the case manager who answered Priest's call say that she told them James Steen and Michael Bohr murdered Heidi Allen, and that they disposed of her body in a cabin deep in the woods, all because she was going to rat someone out, and that's what happened to Snitches. And Steen and Bohr were both involved in drug trafficking, according to these notes. Quote, The caller advises that the cabin is three miles into the woods behind a residence owned by Roger Breckenridge. The Breckenridge residence is located at Kip Road, Parish, New York. The cabin is past railroad tracks and is in isolation in the woods. Both suspects stated that the child was cut into pieces, some body parts were put in the oven, and the rest were buried underneath the floorboards. End quote. Apparently, that information never made it to the Oswego County Sheriff's Office. Or maybe it did, and they decided it wasn't credible. 
When I contacted him for an interview, Oaks would not discuss the case with me. Priest actually reached out to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at least twice, trying to get someone to listen to her. And when questioned about not coming forward sooner, Priest wrote an email to Oaks, citing the actions that she had taken to come forward. Quote, So I have attempted over the years to get a hold of someone in regards to this. I even sent a detailed map of where she is and every one of their pictures and information. Nothing ever came of it. I would wait, then report it again to the Exploited Children's Network. So I have tried repeated times. No one ever took the time to check into anything. End quote. In 2011, Priest wasn't the only one who came forward with information about Heidi's disappearance. On August 14, 2011, police responded to a domestic violence dispute on Route 43 in New Haven. When officers arrived on the scene, a woman named Jessica Howard began telling police that her mother-in-law, whose last name was Breckenridge, told her a family secret that had to do with the disappearance of Heidi Allen. Quote, Jessica stated that her mother-in-law had told her secrets about the Heidi Allen case, including that Heidi was buried in a field behind a shed and who the real killer was, end quote. Howard's statement was attached to an email sent to investigators, and it ended with a disclaimer. Quote, I don't know how accurate any of this may be, but I wanted to forward it for review, end quote. Did anyone in the Oswego County Sheriff's Office look into this lead? By this time, a new lead investigator, James Petrosky, had taken on the case. Based on the handwritten scribbles on the document, Investigator Petrosky called Howard once on February 29, 2012, but no one answered. Petrosky tried calling Howard once, six months after the lead was sent to him. I called and spoke to Petrosky to request an interview. He told me that he had to clear it with his boss. I tried following up with a voicemail, but he never got back to me. In 2015, Howard sat down for an interview with John O'Brien to talk about the Breckenridge family secret. They took her, raped her, beat her with a bat, took her out into the woods and burned her. O'Brien also asked Howard if the sheriff's office ever tried reaching out to her back in 2011. So you told the sheriffs back then, did they follow up at all? or did they... No, they couldn't find me. They couldn't find you. Why not? I don't know. They just called me yesterday, told me I was a very hard person to find. Two years after Jessica Howard originally told police what she heard from the Breckenridge family is when Tanya Priest finally got through to someone about Heidi's kidnapping. She spoke to Oaks, but something important to mention about Priest's phone call is that her call was not meant for him. In fact, it wasn't even meant for the Oswego County Sheriff's Office. Priest was trying to get a hold of Randy Bianco, the lawyer who represented Gary Thibodeau throughout his appeal process. Priest called the law offices of Falasco and Cuomo in Fulton, New York, formerly the law practice of Randy Judah Bianco. But Bianco had moved on to work with the federal public defenders in Syracuse. Mary Falasco of the law offices of Falasco and Cuomo did not forward Priest's message to Bianco, though. Instead, she forwarded it to Oaks and the Oswego County District Attorney's Office. 
Now, Mary Falasco didn't tell me that Tanya Priest had called. Her partner, Lisa Cuomo, called me to tell me Tanya Priest had called. And I said, well, give me the number because I want to call her back. And they said, the other, the other attorney, who was Lisa Cuomo, said, well, Mary referred her to Greg Oaks, the district attorney's office. And I immediately got pissed off because Mary Falasco worked at the Oswego County District Attorney's Office for a long time. And how dare she take my case that I've been working on for 20 years and take the information and refer it to the DA's office and not tell me about it. So I asked for the number of Tanya Priest and she apparently threw it away. Um, I then called Greg Oaks and he, I asked him, you know, you, you, this, this is a person that called my law office and spoke to you. And he said, yes, I said, I want the name and the number. He says, well, I'm not giving it to you. And I said, they called my office. My office, she had no right to give you this information to, to throw it your way and you not give it to me. Um, and then he said something to the effect that he would look into it and then he'd get back to me and I said, not good enough. Um, I got another call back from Greg Oaks and Mark Moody. Um, I'm, I'm asking for the information again. They told me, not giving it to you, you're not getting it and you can't do anything with it anyway because you work at the Federal Public Defender's Office and you're not allowed to do anything with it or you'll lose your job. And I said, I don't give a shit about my job. Give me the information. I'll do what I want with it. And I said that they had an ethical problem, that one of their prior attorneys who worked at the Oswego County District Attorney's Office had um, given them information. She had a clear conflict of interest. Now you're hiding it from me, and she had no right to give it to you to begin with because they're calling my office and you have a conflict. Then they arranged for some kind of compromise with me that they will give me all of their investigation, all of the documents are in their investigation and let me know where they stand and I can call up periodically. But they really wanted to get to the bottom of this. They don't want an innocent man in prison, that they're gonna look into this whole thing. And so I would call periodically, where are we, what's going on? And ultimately they sent me a packet of materials when they were concluded with their investigation and their conclusion of their investigation said, we're not doing anything with it essentially. We've investigated it and found nothing. Now, before I go any further, I wanna take a minute and discuss another connection I have to this case. Randy Bianco was hired as an assistant federal public defender by Lisa Peebles, the federal public defender of the Northern District of New York, or as I call her, mom. When Tanya Priest came forward and tried to contact Bianco, Lisa Peebles got her first taste of the case, and she would eventually take the lead in Gary's fight for innocence. Well, the first time I heard anything about new evidence involving the prosecution and conviction of Gary Thibodeau was through Randy Bianco. I hired Randy as an assistant. She had previously been in private practice. So in 2012, she became an assistant at my office and gave up her private practice. It was sometime in January, late January, early February, she approached me about 
the Gary's case, and she told me that she got a disturbing phone call um, that a woman was trying to track her down by calling her old office. So Randy reached out to the attorney that took over her practice and found out that the woman had been diverted to the district attorney's office. So Randy called the district attorney and they refused to disclose the woman's name who was trying to give information in connection with Gary's case. Randy was upset. I talked to her about it and I come to find out that she had worked out um, a situation where they would give her updates regarding the investigation into this new evidence uh, because Gary was a case that, you know, Randy handled pro bono through the appellate process for years. And um, she just kind of kept me posted as to how things were developing. I really wasn't involved in what the nature of the new evidence was at that point. Months after Priest came forward, Oaks wrote a letter to Bianco including the results of their investigation into the new information of Heidi's kidnapping. This is an excerpt from that letter. Quote, Priest also stated that Steen claimed that Breckenridge's then-girlfriend, Jennifer Westcott, was a witness to some of the events. Written statements were obtained from Priest. Given the nature of Priest's allegations, we arranged to have her make contact with Jennifer Westcott. Initially, the contact took place through Facebook and via text messages. Ultimately, we made arrangements to have Priest make a monitored telephone call to Westcott. Investigators from the Sheriff's Department subsequently interviewed Westcott and obtained a written statement from her. She denied any knowledge about Heidi Allen's disappearance or death. She denied the allegations made by Priest. End quote. So according to Oaks, Westcott denied any knowledge of what happened to Heidi Allen. But listen to the phone call between Tanya Priest and Jen Westcott that was recorded and monitored by investigators. He just told me that him, um, Michael Bohr, and uh, Roger had uh, taken Mike's van to the store and that they grabbed her from the store and they brought her to your house. And um, he had said that you did flip out when you guys got there. And, uh, you know, I stuck up for you, and I don't blame you for flipping out. And uh, basically, that's, you know, what he had said had happened. And that's, you know, it's not your fault, though, you know. So I don't want you, I knew a long time ago. I just didn't want you to think that I thought no, I, um, less of you. I really, uh, in my own head, dropped that shit. Right. I don't know, probably about 10 years ago. Yeah. But it took me a while to... Get it gone. Well, how the hell did, why did they even involve you or even do this? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. you were young. No, I know it was a set for cocaine. It was for cocaine? Yeah, sounds like the area. I don't know, kiddo. I love you and I'm sorry that happened to you. Yeah. You know, Roger puts you through a lot and there's no reason for it, Jennifer. You're a good girl. You know, well, maybe that's why he's sitting in Elmira where he needs to be right now. Right. No, I agree with you 100%. Did you even know that they, this was Heidi that they brought there and that this is what they were going to do? Uh-uh. You had no clue that they just showed up with her? Yeah. Oh, what a bad position for you. Probably scared the shit out of you. Well, they, it's not even, they didn't even bring her in the house. Yeah, that's... Gators doesn't mean well, Thumper told me they took her out in the garage, 
And uh, me and Vicky at this point, honestly, Jennifer didn't believe him. And he said right. that they took her out in the garage and that they beat her till she died. I don't know about that. That's what he, that's what he, uh, he had told me. But, I mean, as long as you, that's all you know on everything, and, I mean, the only thing you said you did was junk the van with Roger, then I wouldn't really worry about anything. And you really had no part of it, and it's kind of sad that that even happened. Is that why you guys went to Florida? Uh-huh. I thought so. One question to consider is, if Bianco hadn't pushed as hard as she did, would investigators have even orchestrated a monitored phone call? But investigators obviously heard something in that call because it prompted them to bring in Westcott to ask her their own questions. And something to note while listening to this is Westcott had no clue that her conversation with Priest had been recorded and monitored. And I said, Tanya, what the hell are you talking about? Who, Tanya who? Tanya Priest is her name. She tried telling me that that um I knew that um, Thumper killed Heidi Allen, and I said, "Who's Thumper?" Um, James Dean. Okay. I said, "Tanya, what the hell are you talking about?" And I'm like, "You're fucking crazy." <laughs> and then you called me, right. so I'm like, I texted her right up, and I said, "What the?" Thinking investigators didn't actually know about the phone call, Westcott denied everything and doubled down on that. Do you know anything about the disappearance of Heidi Allen? I don't know anything about the disappearance of Heidi Allen except for she came out missing from the EW station. Right. And I think it's a sad situation. <laughs> so what if I told you that Roger... During the interrogation, Petrowski left the room. Listen to what Westcott whispers to herself when she's alone in that room. All right, um, let me go out here for a second, and I'll be right back, okay? okay. If Westcott truly did not know anything and was telling the truth, what was there for her to be freaked out about? Because I still don't know anything more than I knew 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13 years ago. Anything different. And she says, I'm telling you, Thumper and Roger brought that girl to your house. I said, no, they didn't because I lived with my mother and 
I'm sure that I would know if they came in there with a woman they were getting ready to kill. Then, Petrosky got more direct with Westcott about what she said to Priest. So in this conversation, did you make reference to the white man that you helped Roger jump the white man or something? I don't even know if Roger jumped in a white man. Did you make reference to it, though? Did you say that, yeah, you helped him jump it? Did you make reference saying that they I brought her to the house and that you stayed, she, they kept her out in the van? No. I never said. How the hell could I say something that's not even true, first of all? But, no, I never said anything to her about a, a van. I never even seen a van. I was with my mom the whole day. We had a whole ham dinner like we always do. I never seen no white van. I never seen... I've never even seen Thumper in a white van. In the entire time I know him. I mean, he's driving a silver caravan. That's not a silver caravan. One night we went to the races with Vicky and the kids. But, I mean, a white tow truck. But no, I never said to her that um, they came to my house. Or any of that crazy. That bitch is crazy, man. I don't know what she is trying to do, but this is crazy. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. Well, you made reference to the way that she stayed out in the car when she called you, when she was talking to you and said that they brought her to the house in a white van and you said that she stayed out in the, in the van. I said that? Yeah. Wow. Because I don't have... <laughs> I don't have any fucking idea. Because I was at my mom's house. I'm sure of it. I went through this whole story with Tanya, too. So what do you mean? What, what story? What, I mean, the whole thing that we just talked about. I mean, everything you're saying to me is just like Tanya said to me. Everything. Every bit of it. Like what? Just that. I mean, she kept, she kept saying that same shit, too. Like what? Like what? Like what? Like what? I don't... And I'm like, like what? What, Tanya? Like what? Right. <laughs> I mean, well, I'm asking, you're talking about these three, being involved with Heidi and with the spirits. Yeah, because she kept... That's all she kept saying to me. They're they're involved. They're involved. Thumper admitted it to me. I said, then why the hell didn't you go to somebody before them? She said, because I was scared. I said, well, then I would probably be scared, too. But, I mean, I don't understand. So what do you know about these three being involved in a disappearance? I don't know anything except for what time you told me that they were involved. And when was this? Just the other day? Just the other day. And you never heard of any of this before this? Not, before? not a stick of it. Not a stick of it. Westcott was caught in the middle of a lie by police about what she said to Tanya regarding Heidi Allen's kidnapping. The biggest problem I have with what you're telling me is that Tanya recorded your phone calls with her. And you say that you, that when they pulled up with the white van and she stayed out in the van. Well, then I'll tell you what, she chopped something because I never said anything about a white van. I don't know anything about a white man. I was at my parents' house. I just told you that from the get-go. Yeah, but I'm listening to the recording, and it's you on the recording. Well, I'm telling you, if if you have the recording, then I was on speakerphone. There was plenty of people around my table. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you pinpoint that I said that that Thumper pulled into my house with Heidi Allen and a white man? Yeah. For real? Yeah. 
Because that's the craziest fucking shit I ever heard in my life. Yeah, you got it on recording. <laughs> oh my god. I really don't. I mean, I was. Uh, this fucking lady. Where does she even come up? Uh, what is this about? I mean, did she. Where where does this even originate from? What do you mean? What does what? How how the hell do I even get involved in this? I mean, I I'm completely lost in how I haven't talked to this woman forever. And she calls and tells me her hus her ex husband is gonna run her mouth. And then. Now I'm admitting that there was a white band in my driveway with a fucking ID on it. Yeah, that's what's on the recording. When she talks about the white van when they pulled up, they said that they took her from the T&W in the white van. And I said, I don't know anything about them taking her in a white van. No, that's not what you said. That's not what I said. Mm -hmm. Oh, my fucking God. <sighs> After being caught in that lie, Westcott agreed to let investigators look through her phone. You hear Westcott say she reached out to the owner of Crosby Hill Junkyard, Richard Murtaugh, about Heidi's disappearance. Murtaugh knew Bohr, Steen, and Breckenridge. Remember, that's where all three of them scrapped junk cars. And here's Bohr talking in an interview with sheriffs about Crosby Hill Junkyard. Well, they're a junkyard. Mm -hmm. You know, they got the crusher. And you jumped at Murtaugh's? Yeah. Right? Until things got too hot and I had to get the hell out of there. What do you mean too hot? Um, I ended up having a bunch of secretive people around me and they're listening to every bit of my word. And everywhere I moved, I was getting closed in on. Mm -hmm. Bohr was alleging that Heidi's body may have been disposed of at Crosby Hill. He also said that drugs were peddled in and out of Crosby Hill. Now listen to Petrosky convince Westcott to let him go through her phone. Uh, where are we going with this? <laughs> Actually, you know what? That would help your you telling me what if I could look at your phone. Do you mind if I looked at your phone? If I had somebody, would you consent to us going through your phone? You would consent to that? What up? And uh, take it upstairs and have them run it. And, okay, I'll give them consent for it. Run it up. Because I was even, I even uh, texted Dick Murtaugh today, Rich Murtaugh today, and asked him about, about it. So when she's talking about that, you're on the tape. When she's talking about them coming to your house in this white van, you also make reference to helping Roger jump the van, get rid of the van. I said that? Yeah. I said I helped Roger jump the van. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're sure? Positive. Because Roger was working at the junkyard. <laughs> so, I mean, if I helped him jump a van, which I didn't work at all. Um, so then you called the guy at the junkyard and asked him about it? I, I actually sent him a text this morning asking him if he knew anything about Roger, Thumper, and Mike Borg. And Why did Westcott text Murtaugh before being questioned by investigators? Those text messages between Westcott and Murtaugh somehow vanished and were never seen by anyone other 
than Westcott and law enforcement. Petrosky's interrogation of Westcott didn't really feel like a real interrogation, especially when Westcott was just caught in a lie about what she said to Tanya regarding the kidnapping of Heidi Allen, who was still missing. But what I heard on the tape, because I just listened to it again, is you, Tanya, talking about Dean, Roger, and Boar showing up with Heidi Allen at your house. And you saying, yeah, she never came in. She, she was in the van. Even if this did happen, you know, you're not in any trouble. If this happened. But you need to explain to me why you would say that. Probably just to shut the crazy bitch up, to honestly tell you the truth. So Westcott said she told Priest that Heidi was kidnapped and brought to her house to shut Priest up and get off the phone? Think about that. Westcott was implicating herself in a kidnapping just to shut Tanya Priest up? If Westcott truly wanted to get off the phone and not deal with Priest, why didn't she just hang up? Listen to this once more. Does Westcott sound like she's just trying to shut someone up and get off the phone? Did you even know that they, this was Heidi that they brought there and that this is what they were going to do? Uh-uh. You had no clue that they just showed up with her? Yeah. Oh, what a bad position for you. She probably scared the shit out of you. Well, they, it's not even, they didn't even bring her in the house. Yeah, that's... Her, well, Thumper told me they took her out in the garage. And uh, me and Vicky at this point, honestly, Jennifer didn't believe him. And he said right. that they took her out in the garage and that they beat her till she died. Oh, I don't know about that. That's what, he, that's what he, uh, he had told me. But, I mean, as long as you, that's all you know and everything. And, I mean, the only thing you said you did was junk the van with Roger then I wouldn't really worry about anything. And you really had no part of it. And it's kind of sad that that even happened. Is that why you guys went to Florida? Uh-huh. I thought so. After being interrogated for a little over an hour, Westcott was free to go. But listen to the way the interrogation ended. I would like to take you over to my desk. Do have a quick statement of what you told me about all the, whatever happened since you, about the Heidi Allen, what you know about it, and her Tanya calling you up, you know, anything you want to add, you know, put in there. I'd like to go do that. Have you put it down on paper and sign it, you know, so I can sell your side of the story? Well, I mean, the, um, should I really, I mean, because this is a, this is a pretty big case. I'm not, I'm not really a stupid person. Um, I don't, I don't really think I should sign a statement until I, I make sure, I mean, I, I agree with signing a statement. What I have said is to my acknowledgement. Okay. Okay, so, so I guess that's not a really big deal, but, I mean, is something coming about this? I mean, you're not in any trouble. I just need to get on paper what you know. And that's what but you I don't want to sign a statement to you saying that I don't know when you got that freaking tape of me saying that I know. You know what okay, I'm saying? Cause okay, so I, that's not like you saying you're running off with the mouth or whatever. I don't know. Whatever it is you did, you did. You're not in any trouble. You're going to leave here. I'm not looking at you. I'm not looking to arrest you for anything. I'm just looking to either cooperate what people are saying or to squash this. Right. 
Westcott's part in this story was far from over. In his work on the case for the Post Standard in Syracuse, John O'Brien was trying to track Westcott down for himself. To do so, he reached out to Bohr's old business partner, who we heard from last episode. His name was Carl Robinson. Robinson reached out to Westcott on Facebook in an effort to arrange a sit-down with reporters. But Westcott was combative and uncooperative. What she said in these alarming messages made it seem like maybe she did know more than what she was telling investigators. Westcott, yes, but I'm not going to tell anyone about it. I'm not going to be the next one dead for running my mouth off. I will not go to court for anything I said over 10 years ago. That's retarded. Robinson, I'm just saying, if you do know something, you should tell someone. It's only right. Westcott, I'm done talking about her. I don't have to say anything, Carl. I don't care what people are saying. I'm not saying nothing about it. I will not be the next one dead in a box in the woods. I had been talking to Carl, and I said, can you just ask her why she won't do an interview with, with me and with the Post Standard? And he did. He wrote to her, and that was, that was her response. I don't want to be the next one found dead in the woods. Um, found in, in a box, found dead in a box in the woods, I think is what it was. Yeah. And wow. she was thinking no one's going to see those messages, just my friend. Right. Whom he, and he says that she had talked to him before about Heidi, about knowing what happened to Heidi. I mean, years before. Oaks and investigators did arrange for Westcott to take a lie detector test after her interrogation. And when I say the lie detector test was after her interrogation, specifically, the interrogation took place on March 7th, 2013. Westcott took a lie detector test on August 11th, 2014. That's a year and five months after the original interrogation. Oaks had someone outside the Oswego County Sheriff's Office conduct the polygraph. Fulton Police Investigator Michael Curtis was the man for the job. The polygraph took three hours and 24 minutes. And according to the results, Westcott lied about key questions regarding Heidi's kidnapping. Quote, After completion of the polygraph exam, my initial decision was deception, as Jay Westcott showed a stronger overall reaction to question R5. Regarding the disappearance of Heidi Allen, do you know for sure if those three men were involved? And R7, do you know for sure if those three men were involved regarding the disappearance of Heidi Allen? Jay Westcott was confronted on the results and denied lying to those questions. End quote. To clarify, Westcott said no to those questions. So she did lie about knowing who was involved in the kidnapping. And to be sure that investigator Curtis's results were accurate, at the request of John O'Brien, former Fulton Police Lieutenant Russ Johnson took a look for himself. Quote, The so-called confrontation investigator Curtis reported when he believed Westcott wasn't telling the truth in two of the questions was literally less than one minute in duration and near the end of the process as Westcott was mentally and physically preparing to leave the room. His confrontational question to Westcott was, Is there any problem with those questions? Westcott's response, I don't think so. Such an answer in and of itself represents a deceptive response, warranting much further and deeper questioning to sift out the truth from Westcott. Unfortunately, that did not happen, 
and Westcott was dismissed from the examination within minutes. End quote. Former Lieutenant Johnson went on to give his professional opinion about the polygraph. Quote, After review of this entire polygraph examination as conducted by Investigator Curtis, it is my opinion that a huge opportunity to intensely question Jennifer Westcott about her knowledge of who may have actually been responsible for the abduction of Heidi Allen was lost in the polygraph process itself. Moreover, due to Investigator Curtis's demonstrated lack of interrogatory effort to diligently pursue whether Westcott was telling the truth or lying, the question and extent of her knowledge about the abduction and who might have been involved still exists. End quote. I've done what I could to get a hold of Westcott myself. I've tried several phone numbers, but I still haven't heard back from her. I even dropped by her home in Oswego, New York, but her boyfriend told me she wasn't there. So you know, yeah. Jen at that time was going to Central Square High School and was living at home with her parents and had nothing to do with the Heidi Allen. Oh, okay. Yeah, research it. Westcott may have been in high school in 1994, but she was dating a man named Roger Breckenridge, who was almost 10 years older than she was. You may have noticed Westcott talking about her relationship with Breckenridge during her interrogation. She said that he used to try to beat her with a 4x4. And we already know that Jessica Howard came forward claiming the entire Breckenridge family knew about Roger's involvement in Heidi's disappearance. John O'Brien and I tried tracking down Breckenridge who has been in and out of prison since 1994. Breckenridge had done time for stealing antique tractors back in 2012, and he has a lengthy rap sheet. Our search brought us to a rundown trailer in a remote area somewhere in rural Hastings, New York. The condition of the trailer made us skeptical that anyone could be living there, but there were a couple vehicles parked there, so we went up and knocked. After a few minutes and still no answer, we were about to give up. Then we realized there was a vehicle covered in snow in front of a barn-like structure about 40 yards behind the trailer. Uh, it was, uh, you know, just horrible place to run down, beat up, dirty, kind of scary, you know, knocking on the door as it always is, and uh, dog barking, on the in barking in there. Uh, it was just a dump. Despite the dilapidated exterior of the structure, we went up and knocked on the door. Immediately, we heard a dog barking and a commotion inside. A man who called himself Dewey opened the door. I was able to see inside for just a second while the door was open. Other than the filth inside, I noticed another man in a robe who smiled at me and walked into another room. We thought that maybe Breckenridge was in there too. But after talking with Dewey for a few minutes, it was pretty clear that Breckenridge hadn't been there for some time. Although the information has not been verified at this point, according to Dewey, Breckenridge is in jail again. It is unclear what circumstances may have led to his arrest. Even though Tanya Priest accused both Bohr and Breckenridge of abducting Heidi Allen, Priest didn't hear that information directly from Bohr or Breckenridge. She claimed that James Thumperstein 
told her that the three of them together kidnapped and killed Heidi. But who was this James Steen? Oh, somebody just pulled up. We're in my Plast guy in Greenwich, Greenwich Deer Apartments on Lewis Street, and some guy just got out of the truck and he had a shotgun and he shot two, he shot, he shot two rounds off out of here. Okay, where is this? Greenwich Deer Apartments on Plast guy on Nine Lewis Street. Hurry up! I, I think I don't know if he shot anybody or not. You can always go forward. Jay, whatever happened, what happened anyways, Jay? I told you what happened. Well, you can always move forward, bud. Jay. Jay, you can always go forward from here. How could you go say go forward but now since I'm going to start Jay. Did Steen really have something to do with Heidi's kidnapping? Find out on the next episode of Peebles for the People. Up to date on Heidi Allen's story by following and subscribing to Peoples for the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts.